many aspects of the socially dynamic organization are emergent. They can't be imposed, they can't be bought, they can't be traded, they can only be earned. This is the Brilliance Leadership Learning Podcast, sharing thought-provoking content and discussions to enhance your leadership development journey. Be sure to subscribe to get notified of new episodes. Here are your hosts, Chantal Nash and Gary Norton from the digital learning team at Crotonville, GE's Global Learning Institute. Welcome back to our second episode of the Brilliance Leadership Learning Podcast. We have Julian Stodd with us again as we continue our special series on social leadership. And today we'll be building off of our previous discussion on influence and communities. So let's jump right in. Julian, when we talk about communities and social influence and social leadership, first maybe talk to us about what defines a community and then bring us into the difference between incoherent and coherent communities. It's quite interesting, isn't it? I, I realized, uh, I sort of amused myself today that I'm wearing my Boston Red Sox uh, t-shirt. <laughs> uh, oh, I can tell you, that's a very coherent community. Lots of big fans. <laughs> I hope I'm not going to upset. Uh, I'm, I'm a little vague on the politics of sports support in the US, but um, by wearing it, of course, I'm hijacking, I guess, um, a cultural uh, artifact, a signifier. Um, so if I wore this in certain places, I'd be sort of welcomed with open arms. And if I wore it in other places, it might be judged a little ill-advised you know, <laughs> in discussion and argument. And that's really because, um, you, you know, communities are more than just collections of people. And when I use this, this term coherent or indeed incoherent communities, I'm talking about purposeful communities. So we can look at these two things, shared value and shared purpose. We could find a group of people and give them shared purpose, you know, go over there and dig a hole. That's shared purpose. They might say, how are you going to pay us? How are you going to reward us? We'd form some kind of contract and off they'd go to do it. Now, that's really great. If I'm in the hole and it collapses and I need someone to dig me out, are they going to do it? I don't know. Maybe they'll ask me how much I'm going to pay them to dig me out. You know, we don't necessarily have shared values. They may hold mercenary values uh, and I may be desperate because I'm in the hole. Uh, equally, they may have, you know, they, they may do that because it's the right thing to do. So it's easy to impose shared purpose. Most organizations are mechanisms of shared purpose, and that shared purpose is often to make money. But once we start to delve into the social layers, we need coherent communities that have shared value. And the interesting thing is that while you can impose purpose from the outside, value can only come from within, it can only be discovered. So our role. Um, as an organization becomes to create the spaces and conditions where coherent communities can emerge. But crucially, we can't make communities coherent. It's like trust. The role of the organization is not to get people to trust it. It's to earn the trust of people. Many aspects of the socially dynamic organization are emergent. They can't be imposed. They can't be bought. They can't be traded. They can only be earned. Like an authenticity in your tone of voice. It can only come by being authentic. And indeed, the penalty of trying to cheat it becomes extremely high. So one energy supplier that I was working with, it turned out they employed a third party company to respond to every negative comment they found on social media. So mm -hmm. people would write saying, my boiler broke down. I've been waiting 18 hours for the engineer and I'm freezing. And they would have somebody write saying, well, that's interesting because my boiler broke down and they were here eight minutes later and they were so good I married the engineer. You know, they, they would try to counter stories, <laughs> stories. Now, in the moment, you may be successful, but imagine had that story broken, you know, the reputational cost would be enormous. Right. Reputation is everything. 
I like the example of digging the hole just because I think it's so telling of how actions or values may change based on your perspective also. So just for example, I mean, Gary, if you if you were in a hole, Gary, <laughs> what would you do? Um, yeah, as I often am, I guess, uh, you know, there'd be a couple of things I'd look at is, uh, did I fall in the hole with my shovel? Could I use that <laughs> shovel to dig my way out, maybe dig a set of steps and climb out myself? Or if I didn't have any any tools or methods of getting out myself, am I looking and asking the wrong person for help? Should I turn in the opposite direction and see if there's somebody else who's more willing to provide me help getting out of the hole? So I guess, you know, from that perspective, I'd, I'd have to examine a few things. And if not, if all else fails, then I'd have to acquiesce to that person's uh, demands to get me out of the hole. Well, and, and right. And, and also there's the possibility of maybe maybe nobody else knew that you're in the hole. So let's say you have your shovel, you can make your steps and you get out of the hole. And then somebody goes, hey, man, why didn't you tell me that you were in the hole? <laughs> and so um, I think us reflecting on this is just bringing out a lot of the nuances associated with this that that you're talking about, Julian, um, and also the emphasis on the organization's role being to create the spaces and conditions where the coherent communities can emerge, not forcing them. In those cases, it seems almost as if the organization would be optimized to notice when somebody has fallen in the hole, you know, for us to have better relationships with each other. And again, to the point of it can't be forced. It's not effective. It, it may be not even possible to to do that and create the value on a forced basis. So having that be something that people discover and then authentically make that part of the way that they operate. I think that's a, a very powerful story. And I think that to me makes sense when you talk about then a provoked community versus a nurtured community. Maybe to to start that off, you can tell the story about uh, the factory story, how you once had the job in the factory and, and how that played out. Yeah, so this is an embarrassing story, but I will share. I'll share. <laughs> <laughs> this is my story when I'd finished university and I was just in that few weeks of uh, period where I was waiting for the results to come through. And I no longer had to do any studying because obviously I studied extremely hard for my finals. And so I got a job to, to give me some money. And it was, it was interesting because it was in a factory, a proper old school factory where you clocked in and clocked out with one of those time clocks. And it was in the middle of summer, but we were packing Christmas boxes of deodorant and perfume. And so we had a, a production line. It was a conveyor belt in a, in a big warehouse full of similar conveyor belts, and about 12 of us on that line. And you'd have a job. You know, so you'd make the box up. Or you'd, uh, you know, put in the little uh, Christmas tree and stars made out of, you know, silvery, glittery stuff. Or you'd, <laughs> you'd put in the, the deodorant. And we'd each do this. But we became convinced that the, uh, the conveyor belt itself had a variable speed. So we sort of convinced ourselves, you could see there was a control room in the factory, that they were slowly cranking up the speed of the conveyor belt to get us to work harder. And this was unfair because we weren't paid to uh, you know by the number of units produced we were paid by time so obviously it was uh, you know everybody would rather that the conveyor belt broke down because then we could just hang around and talk and what happened was quite interesting so as we the group became convinced you used to have to unpack these boxes of this deodorant and you had this knife to do it with and you'd cut it open but if you were careless you'd end up slicing open some of the bottles and that would cause wastage but the wastage wasn't measured so what was interesting was that as the line got faster 
and we got more disgruntled as a group. We used to sort of deliberately sabotage it by just seeing if you could split open all the bottles on the top row. Now, that was sort of strange because it illustrates lots of effects. One is that sort of unintentionally, we became quite coherent and we actually started to share some values that weren't really brilliant. You know, like today, I wouldn't consider myself to be proud of splitting open bottles and wasting the content and throwing it away. It's not really what you're looking for, either in an employee or, uh, you know, as a, a community united around shared values. And indeed, in retrospect, it's fairly clear to me that the conveyor belts were all just old and erratic and just went at whatever speed. But we concocted a story. It's a socially moderated story, and we certainly all shared it. In fact, that was pretty much all that we complained about all day. So what is interesting is that uh, communities can become coherent because you nurture them. You give them beautiful surroundings. You give them beanbags and free coffee. But equally, they can become highly coherent because they're provoked. And the reason this is significant is when you start to look at innovation. And many organizations say to me, we want to be more agile. We want to be more innovative. In fact, usually what they say is we want to recapture innovation of our youth. We used to be really creative, but now we're so bogged down with process and system and control that we can't be innovative. But you can't force innovation, the same as you can't force people to share their great ideas with you. You have to create those conditions for it to emerge. And what I took away from this is that you, you need, you know, for sure you want engaged and coherent communities, but there has to be open dialogue. There has to be internal communication in the organization. And we have to recognize these social and formal layers. I mean, you, you'll see in my most recent work around organizational change, I look at how the organization becomes socially dynamic. So no longer a mechanism of pure control, but rather one which is facilitating, enabling and empowering. And there are two key factors which give us that. One is about getting these engaged, coherent communities, but engaged with us in the organization, not engaged with trying to sabotage our shampoo bottles, but engaged with trying to help the organization. <laughs> Great. But you can only have that if on the other side, the organization is willing to relinquish some control. And that control is expressed in lots of ways. For example, in learning, we typically assess people as right or wrong. But in a social learning approach, if 150 people go through a course and co-create a story of what they believe they need to do, they may have 150 different stories. And our role becomes not to tell them that they're right or wrong. Our role becomes to read the stories and learn from them. Because in a socially moderated approach to learning, we're co-creating the meaning each time. Will it be perfect and beautiful? No. But will it be grounded in everyday reality and professional practice? Yes. You know, and that's the, the reality of the world we're in. We need people to be not having some abstract measure of excellence as, as recorded by the organization. We just need them to be effective. And as an organization, we need to hear great ideas. But we'll only hear great ideas if we recognize and reward them and if you look at the, the, this work I've been primarily doing over the last year around organizational change, we look at the um, resistors to change, the inhibitors of change, and the amplifiers of change. And they're very often about the way that resistant organizations deploy antibodies and try to kill off conversations they don't like. They starve them of permission. They put them to one side. They say it's not your responsibility. Whilst a socially dynamic organization will have a deeply embedded ability to restructure, to rescaffold itself, to innovate. So for example, if I were working on a factory line in a truly socially dynamic organization, I would be able to make a suggestion to make the factory line better. Whilst where I found myself 
if I wanted to go and talk to somebody to give them that idea, I had to clock out so I wouldn't even be paid for it. You know, that's the difference it's about the kind of trust that we have in, in the organization. And I think this is the biggest challenge organizations face today. It's not about market conditions. It's not about acquisitions and mergers. It's about their ability within their DNA to become truly agile, to move away from being highly structured, fully bound by formal um, leadership, formal hierarchy and mechanisms of control, to becoming truly socially dynamic, able to solve problems in multiple different ways, deeply engaged with its communities, highly coherent communities, rewarded and valued communities, high trust within the organization and hence an ability uh, to be truly agile, uh, which is, of course, what we need in a world which presents us with constant change. I think you started also touching on the technology aspect of it and how implementing technology, it, there's more than that. You could have all of the best technology that you want, but unless um, you, know, you compare it as technology versus sociology, unless you have that element, the organization will churn and not necessarily really advance. And so one thing that, that came to my mind as you were talking was, you know, we've done some experimentation with um, online courses. What we learned from that in terms of behavior and how to be effective was that we may have this course where we have people that are learning digitally and, you know, they're sharing ideas with each other. But if people had questions, if participants had questions, it was a little bit uh, not a little bit, it was a learned skill for us to not necessarily have our moderators go in there and answer the questions right away. Because what we found was that if we did that, then all the rest of the participants became reliant on if they have a question, you know, somebody else that's a quote unquote moderator and some person of authority was the person who had to answer it rather than them coming up with the solutions themselves and talking with each other to really figure out what's the best way to solve, solve my problem. And so that was something where we did, we adjusted that and we found, you know, maybe with a little bit of guidance here and there, but not necessarily always giving the answer, that that's how we really create those communities of learning in our digital technology applications and, and helping that move along. So just having that course where multiple people could take it together as a group online wasn't enough. You know, as an organization, feeling the need to resist going in and giving the answer. Um, you know, you talked about that and allowing the community to come up with it. And you're right that the other part is to recognize that the answer you have may be wrong. Absolutely. And the organization recognizing that the answer that served it yesterday is only one of a range of possible answers. The mindset behind that is, is one that I sometimes call the caging of complexity. So many organizations, as they grow, they write rules, they codify things in system and process and the way this is around here, the way of doing. And that can be great in terms of robustness of system and in terms of providing security, scalability, replicability, all the things that global organizations that we strive for. What it fails to recognize is that very often in a compliant type environment, when people are breaching the rules, they're not bad people doing bad things. They're really bright people who are rapidly prototyping better ways of doing it. By opening ourselves up to hear the answers, we have an ability to learn and evolve the system itself. And again, that's a feature of a socially dynamic organization. It recognizes that nothing should be set in stone forever. In fact, somebody in my own organization asked me the other day, they said, we're, we're only 18 months old, so we haven't had time yet to deeply embed all of our really poor practices. But they said to me, oh, we're starting to get loads of documents around this piece that we're doing. There's starting to be lots of documentation. 
I think we need a system so we work out how to structure all the documentation. I said, well, we could do that. Or what we could do is just like get rid of the documentation. We only need one, <laughs> which is the up-to-date version. So if I write a document and then I put that on the system and other people respond with their own documents, that's an iterative evolving process. But really, it should all happen in one space. You know, Wikipedia doesn't give you 85 different versions of the same story. For sure, you can delve into it and look back on them. It just gives you the current, co-created, agile, adaptive and dynamic version of what we believe is true today. And if you disagree with that, you can continue to evolve it on. Yeah, Julian, what you just described um, sounds very similar to what we have implemented in, in GE under the uh, name of FastWorks, and it's uh, it's certainly do, building rapid prototypes, which we internally call minimal viable products, and we do iterations on those and decide whether we're going to pivot or persevere and continue on with the with the product. Spot on with that, especially in the GE organization. So the point about recognizing that nothing should be set in stone forever, I think, is huge for both individuals and organizations. We get set in a certain area you know we talked about that in our first episode and you know different career interests and how expertise can kind of blind you and i think the same thing applies for organizations big organizations stay around because they do they do change they recognize that what got us here won't won't get us there and sometimes it is hard i'm not saying that it happens easily in in every situation but just the point of how the social organization needs to recognize that in order to continue moving quickly. I, I, th I just think it, it validates some of the things that organizations are doing today, you know, not just GE, but a lot of different organizations. So to keep that in mind, that scalability and replicability might be defined a little bit differently, kind of removing, if you could, you know, sanding down those words that may have been in stone that people thought were set in stone and allowing things to emerge a little bit differently um, and especially the changing perspective of it's not bad people doing bad things it's bright people rapidly prototyping the better ways i really liked that you said that because again perspective is everything when you're looking at somebody doing something different it's very easy for us to judge so we are going to pause our conversation for today and come back on our next episode for the third and final segment of our series on social leadership with julian uh, we will be talking more about technology, sociology, and the aspects of control a little bit more that, that go into it and that we've also talked about on this episode. In the meantime, continue thinking about the communities that you are a member of and let us know what factors you perceive to be provoking versus nurturing. And likewise, think about what kinds of communities you are creating yourself. So what kinds of conditions are you fostering to allow for shared value and not just shared purpose, for example. Once again, you can subscribe to Julian's blog and pick up the latest copy of the Social Leadership Handbook all through his website, seasaltlearning.com. And you can also follow him on Twitter with the handle Julian Stodd. If you like the show, be sure to like, comment, share, and leave us a review. Until next time, thank you for listening.